This week we are uh, coming to an end of our Advent study of the the four names uh, that Isaiah announces and says that the promised one who comes will be uh, will be known by the names that he will be he will be called. Remember that we've uh, we're, we've taken a break from our studies in First uh, and Second Samuel, uh, where God has had given David. Uh, these, this everlasting promise that there would be one who would come from him that would rule on God's throne forever and who would bring this everlasting kingdom. Uh, we see, we've seen in Isaiah chapter 9 that, uh, that God is, is drawing his people's attention back to these promises and we've seen that those promises will be fulfilled in Jesus. And as we've looked at these four names, we're trying to understand more uh, of what it means uh, of, of about the character of Jesus, the, the, the child who was born into this world, who uh, is the one who demonstrates fully that he is uh, the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And this week, as we look at the Prince of Peace, uh, look with me in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, as again we see where this is coming from. This is on page 573. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How is it that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? What does that mean? Who, who needs this offer of peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes to bring? How is it that, that this peace is, is secured? What does it look like to live out and to practice a life of peace with our God? So we want to look at and try to understand more this morning. As we've done in the past, we try to find a representative passage in the New Testament to help us understand more fully uh, how each of these names apply to Christ. This morning, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, uh, if you're in one of the black ones there in your seats, this is on page 976. Um, here, uh, Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, uh, is writing uh, to the church in Ephesus. And here, he draws particular attention to Jesus as the one who brings and offers peace. So if you would, follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word, beginning there in verse uh, 11 on page 976. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man 
in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the word that you have given your people. We thank you that you continue to work through it. We thank you that through your providence and your love and your purposes, you have preserved for us a trustworthy and accurate record of the revelation of you. We pray this morning that you would apply your words to the hearts of your people, that we might come to know more fully and more deeply Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Amen. Um, In 1945, uh, World War II came to an end. Victory was declared in Japan as the emperor surrendered. But uh, Hiru Onoda was a Japanese soldier who was serving in the Philippines. And he did not get word that the war was over. He did not get word of this uh, announcement, this proclamation that hostilities had ended and that there was peace. So he continued to battle him and a few other soldiers in the Philippines. Uh, Years went by. They attempted to drop pamphlets and flyers down into the mountains to let him and the other soldiers know that Japan had surrendered, that hostilities were over, that there was now peace, and that they were to give up their, uh, their attacks against the American and Phil, uh, uh, Philippine armies. Uh, But he refused to listen to it. He did not think that message applied to him. He thought it was a lie. He thought it was made up. He thought it was propaganda. So he continued his attacks and his battle. This went on for 29 years until 1974. He continued to refuse to believe that this proclamation, this announcement, that hostilities had ended, applied to him. Here, as we look in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul is proclaiming and announcing that the Prince of Peace is bringing forth peace And he proclaims and he preaches peace. To to whom does that, that message apply? Who is in need of peace? That's the first question that we need to understand. If we're going to respond rightly and relate rightly to Jesus as the Prince of Peace, who needs 
peace. Notice what Paul says. Look in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The proclamation of the ending of hostilities uh, going out to uh, the Japanese armies, peace was proclaimed to those who were near and peace was proclaimed to those who were far off. But Hiro Onoda refused to acknowledge and understand and believe that that message to him who was far off applied. It's Paul talking about these who are near, these who are far off, that this message of peace is being proclaimed to and preached to. Notice, first, those who are far off. He's speaking of the Gentiles. Notice verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the, hand, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Gentiles are those who are far off. This message of peace was one that they needed. They needed peace. Paul points out and demonstrates their separation from God. They were separated from Christ, from the king, the ruler, not just of God's people, but of all things. They were alienated from uh, the visible people of God, that God was calling to himself, those that he chose to dwell among. They were strangers of the covenants of promise. These covenants that God had revealed himself, of his grace and mercy, that he would provide redemption and salvation and a way for humanity to be brought back into a relationship with God. They did not know these. They were separated from God and from these promises. So much so that they had no hope and they were without God. Gentiles needed this proclamation of peace. They were separated from God. They were uh, in uh, still in open hostility against Him. They were those that needed peace with God. But notice as well, Paul says that peace was also proclaimed and preached to those who were near. Who's that? That's the Jews. The Jews as well needed to hear and recognize that they needed peace with God. Notice how that is uh, pointed out by Paul in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God. You see, even though the Jews visibly were connected with the people of God, their, just their outward connection with the people, just their hearing the promises, just their being a part of the visible people and, and, and experiencing and knowing of the, the good news of God and what He had done, did not in and of itself redeem and save them and bring them peace they still were separated from God and needed peace. The same is true for the Gentiles. In other words, what Paul is saying is everyone, everyone needs peace with God. Why? Notice back up in verse 1 of chapter 2 what God says 
through his word, is true of humanity apart from Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of humanity, left to ourselves and in ourselves, by nature we are children of wrath. Those deserving the just penalty of our rebellion against God. All of us are in need of peace. We need to be brought into peace with Him. Because up to this point, we have been following and submitting ourselves to an alternate kingdom that has been at war in open hostility against our God, following another prince, not the prince of peace, the prince of the power of the air, enslaved to our own sin and our own disobedience. Paul here is directing all of us to consider and recognize who needs peace. I need peace. You need peace. There is none of us, when we consider ourselves before a holy and righteous God, can say, me and God are all right. There's nothing in my life or my heart that would keep me from Him. The message that the Prince of Peace brings, the message that the Prince of Peace announces through this, his authorized spokesperson says, that there is not one single person in all of humanity, except Jesus himself, the perfect one, who does not need to hear this message of peace. We are all separated and in enmity with our God apart from the Prince of Peace. We all need to hear it. None of us are good. In ourselves, we are dead. We are in rebellion. We are children of wrath, sons of disobedience. Humanity is not basically good. We deserve the wrath and the full assault of our God because of our sin and our open treason. Every single one of us need to hear and recognize this proclamation and necessity for peace applies to us. Do not be like Hiru Onoda and deny and think, this does not apply to me. All of us need peace. How then does this peace come about? Notice what Paul says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. He continues to go on. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Notice what Paul is saying. The way that this peace comes about 
the way that the Prince of Peace brings about peace between God and humanity, regardless of whether you descend from Israel or from some other nation, peace can only come through the blood of Jesus, through His flesh being broken for us. Notice, as He says, He Himself is our peace. How is it? What is it that Jesus has done? What has His blood accomplished? Part we see is He's fulfilled the law. All of these promises that, 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 that pointed forward to the, the necessity of blood being shed so that sin and our opposition to God could be dealt with, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, how? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. It's necessary that those who have rebelled against God can only be brought near by one dying, suffering the penalty we deserved in order to secure our peace. We cannot do it ourselves. It's only through what Jesus has done on the cross. The Prince of Peace came to bring an end to the hostility that we have between us and God and to secure, notice how far it goes. In verse 17, he he proclaims peace to those who are far off, peace to those who are near. What does this peace look like? Well, notice, it's not just the ending of hostilities. It's not just a ceasefire. I mean, think about your, our experiences with war. Even now, as we are closer connection with what's going on in Ukraine, as we've been seeking to support the church there, and the message and the word that we have heard about the, the hostilities that they are facing, the attack that our brothers and sisters are experiencing there, uh, the persecution that they are facing is church buildings are being torn down, as, uh, as pastors and church leaders are being taken out of the country. We've heard about this firsthand. Let's say tomorrow that Russia says we're pulling out. It's an end, end of this war. The, the guns will stop firing, the missiles will stop being launched. But what about true and full peace? Will there not still be animosity and difficulty? For some, it may be even seen as uh, impossible to bring those people together once again. But imagine this. At this announcement of peace, some Ukrainian families see a Russian soldier who just minutes before was firing bullets into their home, says, now I want you to come in. I want you to come in and I want you to sit down with us at our table as a member of our family. And they extend to to that soldier open hospitality and love and welcoming. That, That blows our minds. That here, one who is just your enemy, you are now bringing in to be a part of your family? If that is impossible... When we think about it in the the, the hostilities between nations, look at what God is saying to us. 
through the work of Jesus and the peace that He proclaims and the peace that He brings. And He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are brought in adopted in to the family of our God. We now refer and speak to Him as our Father. This is the peace that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, proclaims. This is the extent of the peace that Jesus secures. That we move from those who are in hostility, who are children of wrath, who are sons of disobedience, and we are brought into the very family of God. No distinction. Jew, Gentile, brought into one before our God. Remember, this proclamation and the need of peace is universal. Every human needs peace. This is a question we have to consider. Does the, does the death of Jesus on the cross mean now that every human is at peace with God? That every human now has been brought into this household and that God is their Father? No. no. Notice that this peace can only be secured for, through the death of Jesus. And the need for this peace is universal, but its application is particular. Look at what he says back up in verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near. In verse 15, again, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself. Then in verse 21, again, it's Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It is only in Christ that this peace can be found. That is language that, that Paul and the New Testament uses to describe being in covenant relationship with Jesus. In fact, the benefits that Jesus secures for His people, peace being one with them, only come when we are united to Jesus in this type of relationship. And Paul is clear that that only comes by the grace of our God through faith. It is by faith that you are saved, Paul says at the end of chapter 2. In fact, later this afternoon, uh, you should go back and read chapter 1. Through 2, two verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 10, and count how many times Paul talks about being, something being a, a, a benefit to us through being in Christ or through Christ. Every aspect of redemption only comes when we are connected to Jesus. That means that the chief question everyone must ask an answer. The need for every human on the planet who is a child of wrath, a son of disobedience, how do I get into Christ? 
Because it is only in Christ that this peace will come. It is only in Christ that the hostility will end. It is only in Christ that I will be brought into the fellowship of God, into the family of God, and experience the fatherly love and provision of God. The way that we get into Christ is not through our good works. It's only by faith. Faith in Jesus and who He is and what He has done. For He is the Prince of Peace. Hiro Onoda continued to reject this proclamation of peace, this proclamation that the hostilities had ended. Finally, this traveling Japanese hippie guy who was looking for Hiru and uh, like the abominable snowman all at once, found him in the mountains, took pictures with him, tried to communicate with him what was going on. He refused still to believe. So this guy goes back to Japan and lets the government know. They know that, that Hiru will not believe unless there is uh, clear, authoritative proclamation and evidence that this is true, that this is real. So what they do is they, they find his commanding officer who is still alive, who happens to be selling shoes. They bring him to the Philippines and he meets with him and he proclaims to him and says, it's true. We've surrendered. It's time for you to respond to this message by laying down your arms, by surrendering yourself, by submitting to those who are in authority now because we are no longer in open hostility. And hearing and seeing this authoritative, true message delivered by this person of authority over him, he believed. He believed the proclamation of peace and set down his arms, surrendering. Is that not an appropriate response? When clear authority demonstrates and proclaims, you have lost. There is another who is in power now. Your kingdom will not succeed, but I am offering you peace. Lay down your arms. Give up pursuing your own kingdom and turn to me. Peace to you who are far away. Peace to you who are near. Believe and rest in the, the, the work that Jesus has done for you on the cross, turning from your rebellion and you can find peace. That's how we begin to live in peace. That's how peace is practiced. First, by listening to the authoritative proclamation of peace and believing what God says. You and I are in need of peace. And when we look and trust and hope in Jesus, peace will be ours. But it continues on. The way that we practice peace in verses 18 and 19 is we live out the relationship that is ours through the peace that the Prince of Peace secures for us. Look in verse 18. For through Him, Jesus, our Prince of Peace, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. 
Do you believe that? Before the work of the Spirit and Christ on our behalf, we don't want to have anything to do with God. Because He was in opposition to our kingdom, to what we wanted to do. But here now, our relationship through the blood of Christ has brought us into the family of God, and we have access to Him. The way that we live out and practice peace is by living a life, demonstrating and showing that we are children of God, by pursuing our Father, by resting in His love that is ours in Christ, by pursuing Him in His Word, by pursuing Him in prayer, by continuing to do like we did this morning, responding when He calls us to turn from our sin and come to Him. We have access to our Father. Let's live out the peace that the blood of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has secured for us by boldly and regularly pursuing and taking advantage of the access we have to our Heavenly Father. But the other aspect of it is the way that we practice peace is by living out peace and unity with all the rest of those that God has extended peace to. It's one of the big things that Paul's pointing here. From the beginning, notice when he's talking about the Gentiles, he calls them the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. There had been hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Um, some of this was uh, due to uh, the, the sinful application of God's laws by the, the Jews who they wrongly began to think that it was their Jewishness that made them special before God, as opposed to His grace, and began to look down on any of those who were outside of uh, the, the, people of God, uh, the Jewish uh, people of God. Now, that's why a lot of these letters in the New Testament are addressing this very issue, that Gentiles are brought in as full members of the people that they don't have to follow the, the, uh, the, the laws of, uh, of separation that are put in the, the, the law of Moses, the food laws, circumcision laws. Paul is saying now that Jesus has come, He is making one man out of the two. There is only one people of God. God has said He's extended peace to Gentiles and He has extended peace to Jews. What that means is that God has said, your debt with me has been settled. Who, who has the greater debt? Your brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against you? Or you and me who have rebelled against our infinitely perfect Heavenly Father? If He proclaims and speaks and says that your brother or your sister in Christ is at peace with Him, that He loves them, that they have full access into His household and they are His children. Who are we to continue to practice open hostility and barriers and divisions against them? Here, Paul continues to reiterate what Jesus has done is that He has done... Uh, part of the work that He's doing is that He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to all of us so that both of us would have access to the Father. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
We must practice peace by pursuing unity and demonstrating the peace that is ours collectively in Christ. Who sinned against you? Who right now are you struggling to forgive? Who in your heart are you experiencing open hostility between you and a fellow member of the household of God for whom your Prince of Peace laid down his life on the cross? Paul says that a life of bitterness and the uh, the resistance to extend forgiveness and acceptance to one who has wronged you is a denial of the peace that is yours in Jesus. May we practice this peace through freely, regularly, and extravagantly extending forgiveness to those who have wronged us because of the infinite debt that has been forgiven us through Jesus, our Prince of Peace. And lastly, the way that we live out and practice this peace is by worshiping and glorifying our God. Look at what he says in verse 20. We're part of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The temple. In the Old Testament, the old, under the Old Covenant, was where the special dwelling place of God was. It was where God's people gathered together to worship Him in this one location in His special presence. But Jesus has come proclaiming peace. Jesus has come securing our access to God. Jesus is the the true presence of our God. And now we are being built into this temple. The old one is obsolete. There's no need for it to be rebuilt. Why? Because Jesus is building a superior one. Building us, His people, into a temple. And it's in and among His people that our God dwells. That God is living and dwelling among us. And we, as His people, should live out this identity of who we are by worshiping Him and by demonstrating and showing His glory as the temple did among the watching world. The people would look upon us who are at peace with God, who now are restored to our proper functioning. For actually, this, this language of peace isn't just about the end of hostility. Peace or or shalom being brought from the the Old Testament understanding of it was wholeness, is fullness, is flourishing of what humanity was created and intended to be in the beginning. And in Jesus, not only has the wrath been taken away and the fellowship restored, but we are able to dwell in the presence of our God, trusting Him, worshiping Him, loving Him. We experience the fullness of that peace and of life with our God. Should we not live it out? Among God's people, with God's people, living in a way that glorify and please Him in everything we do. 
Because peace is ours. We are no longer those who are dead. We are no longer sons of disobedience. We are no longer children of wrath. We are members of His household and the eternal peace, the peace that will never end, Isaiah tells us, has been secured for us by Jesus. May we hear this proclamation, recognize that it applies to me. I need peace. Jesus has secured peace by His blood for those who look and rest and hope in Him by faith. And we live out and practice that peace as a part of the household of God for His glory and His praise until He returns. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. You are our Prince of Peace. We pray that we would hear Your proclamation this morning that we would respond by fleeing to You, by resting in You, by hoping in You. And we practice and live in the peace that You have secured for us. It's in Your name we pray. Amen.